We continue in our study of 1 John, and this evening we come to the fourth chapter once again, and uh, we will begin reading at verse 7 of chapter 4 and read through the end of the chapter. 1 John chapter 4, beginning at verse 7, reading through verse 21. Hear now God's word. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not know God because <clears throat> anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. And this is the love of God made manifest among us that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. And this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one who has ever seen God, if we love one another, God abides in us, and his love is perfected in us. By this we know that we abide in him and he in us, because he has given us of his spirit. And we have seen and testified that the Father has sent his Son to be the Savior of the world. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him and he in God. So we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. God is love. And whoever abides in love abides in God, and God abides in him. By this is love perfected with us, so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment, because as he is, so also are we in this world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not been perfected in love. We love because he first loved us. If anyone says, I love God, and hates his brother, he is a liar, for he, does not love his, for he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him, whoever loves God must love his brother. Let's pray together. Oh Lord, our Father, we come to you and we acknowledge that you have shown us your goodness in a multitude of ways. And not the least of those ways is that you have given to us your word for our strengthening and for building us up in the faith, for equipping us to be better servants of yours. And we pray, our Father in heaven, that you would be pleased this night to not only to have given that word to us, but that you will guide us and direct us and that you will build us up and make us better servants of yours as we study your word this night. And we make this request to you in the name of Jesus, our Savior. And together we say... Amen. I suspect that uh, just about everybody in this uh, room has uh, heard the phrase, love makes the world go round. Uh, whether you're old enough to have first heard it back in 1961 when it was a, a, a part of a Broadway musical, or if you're more likely to have heard it in more popular songs of a contemporary time. Regardless of where you first heard it or whether you continue to hear it, it's something that, that resonates with us. It's just a part of our, our society, of our world. And I, I think it rings true because of how important love is and the way in which we think about it in so many ordinary ways. Uh, we think of uh, uh, marriage as being founded on two people uh, loving each other. We may even know an old jingle, you know, that uh, love and marriage go together like a horse and carriage. Uh, it, it's just uh, a part of uh, what we are. Uh, uh, in our homes, we prize love. We experience. We expect parents to love children. We expect children uh, to uh, to love parents. 
parents, uh, for, for many, uh, the love of a mother has for her child is a particularly poignant uh, kind of love, the type of love. Uh, and in the next couple of days, uh, you may be reminded that the way in which you love your country is by uh, going to vote, by fulfilling your, your duties and your responsibilities. We talk about love of country as something that, that sustains uh, young men who go off to war and face the risk of losing their lives, and they do so uh, because they love their country. Uh, love is likewise prized in the church. It's a very important notion, uh, uh, not something that's new. Uh, many of you may even think of the very uh, uh, prized song that you learned as a youngster that tells you that uh, Jesus loves me. Uh, and uh, love is, 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 is so important, and I don't think we should be surprised that uh, it permeates both the church and society. In our passage in 1 John, we have the bold statement, in fact, the bold statement repeated twice, God is love. And if God, the creator of the world, and God, the founder of the church, is love, it doesn't surprise us at all that love is very important. And as we have gone through this letter, uh, uh, chapter by chapter, we've seen how important love is to the Apostle John. And uh, uh, as a matter of fact, in this passage here and in other places, he tries to impress upon his beloved uh, the idea about love. So let's, let's look at this text and uh, uh, particularly the idea that God is love. And John, let's begin by, by looking at that very statement that God is love. I recognize that, that many commentators make the claim that John is not making a statement, a particular statement about God's essential character. I've, I've read all the commentaries and I come away unconvinced. It does seem to me that, yes, John is a pastor, and he's trying to give pastoral advice to people. But John makes this pastoral advice on the basis of something that he knows about God's essential character. And if you don't know something about God's essential character, then many of the things that he says about love don't really make sense either. And so uh, uh, because of this, this, this uh, underlying uh, theological notions, it seems to me it's very important for us. In other words, what I'm trying to convince you of is that if he's addressing a, a pastoral matter, some theological, some doctrinal point lay behind what he says. And we can't understand who God is and what he is like without understanding something about that theological doctrinal foundation. Now John himself uh, makes three statements in his writing about God's essential character. In his gospel, in the fourth chapter, the 24th verse, he tells us God is spirit. Uh, then in, uh, in this book, in chapter 1, verse 5, he tells us that God is light. And here in, verse, in chapter 4, both in verse uh, 8 and 16, he says God is love. The only other place in the New Testament that we have such statements about God are found in, in the uh, book of Hebrews, letter to Hebrews. And in, verse, in chapter 11, verse 29, we read our God is a consuming fire. It seems to me it might be helpful for us to just think a little bit about what love is. We can't be exhaustive in trying to understand this notion, but just a few things. And for the sake of time, I'm going to try to just limit myself to the things that seem to me jump out from John's description in this passage that we read. Um, 
Uh, first of all, love is other-directed. As, as John unfolds his statements about love, uh, uh, you'll notice that he focuses on how love is shown to others. And that's, that's important because as we go through this, we're going to see that, that God loves us, yes, his people, but he also expects us to love others. As a matter of fact, that is embedded in just about each part of this uh, text that we've looked at. We also have to see that love is always seeking the benefit of others. And when our text tells us that God is love, it shows how God's demonstration of his love brings great blessing to his people. I mean, that's why we will, he tells us that we should confess that Jesus is the savior of the world. Also in this text, John makes it very clear that God's love is unconditional. In verse 10 of this chapter, the unconditional nature of God's love is clearly highlighted for us. And I think it's also important as we think about God's love and God is love, that God's love is, is not abstract and it's not simply objective. It certainly is objective. I don't want to take that away. But God's love also is emotional, it's affectional. And that when we hear that God is love and that God sets his love upon his people, that means that God has profound feelings for his people. And I suspect that sometimes Presbyterians and maybe Orthodox Presbyterians in particular are bothered by that. They, 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 they prefer for us always to keep things in that objective, theological, controllable kind of way. But I can't imagine that the Apostle John, as he, as he wrote the words of this book, both in terms of thinking about those to whom he wrote, but thinking also about the God uh, that he wrote about, and in particular about the Jesus that he saw, that he heard, and that he actually touched, as he tells us in the first chapter, and didn't recognize that, that uh, God as being having an emotional attachment to it. So it seems to me all of these elements uh, are necessary for us to understand something about what John is talking about when he tells us that God is love. Now there are plenty of other ways in which we can characterize God and in fact I've, I've already mentioned them. John does that. He's spirit. He's light. And he tells us that. But we need to be careful as we look at this that we don't follow the pattern of some in thinking that because God is love, his other attributes are somehow canceled, that this is an overriding characteristic of God. And so if God is love, then certain other things can't be there. And one prime example of this is that, that some make the claim, uh, uh, both in the church and lots of people outside the church, make the claim that if God is love, then he can't be just. Uh, God cannot be angry and he can't be judging. And uh, there's just no basis for, for making that kind of a claim. Anybody who's a parent, I think, understands the fallacy of that kind of a claim. Uh, that, uh, uh, you know, love, if you love someone, you can't be angry. I mean, every parent, probably at some time or another, got angry with the child. And the reason why the parent was angry with the child is because the child was engaged in some kind of self-destructive behavior, something that was going to hurt the child. And the child and the parent reacted with, with a flash of anger and trying to stop it. But why did that flash of anger come? Because the parent loved the child. And so I think that that that, that, that helps us to understand that, that God being loving doesn't mean that God can't be just. It doesn't mean uh, that God can't be angry, and particularly be angry against sin. 
And what we will see as we um, uh, examine this passage more fully is that God's love is always always present even when he's angry and when he judges. Uh, It's never that God is for a while angry and for a while loving and for a while just. Uh, God's character is such that he's able to be all of those and many other things all at once. Uh, So the point is that God is, is always love. And even though God is more than love, I want to make the point that he's always love. He doesn't stop and start exercising his love. God exercises his love. God has feelings of love for his people. And that's constant. And that doesn't mean because you go to bed tonight and you go to sleep and you aren't conscious about God that somehow God doesn't love you any longer, at least not until you wake up in the morning. That's not the case. God's love is is a constant that is with him. Um, Let me me try to illustrate that a little bit better. Uh, John tells us that God is a spirit. and, And some of you kids have learned that God is a spirit. and He doesn't have a body like man. Now, it's not like God is a spirit sometime, and sometimes he's not a spirit. Uh, You know, he's always a spirit. That's always his character. And that's also true of God's love. And in our society, where people are claiming that God's uh, love cancels out other things, or God can't be just and loving at the same time, I think it's important important for us to see that, that God is always love. He, he's, he's, he's always light. God is uh, uh, never unrighteous. He's never lacking in his holiness. Uh, he's always light, and there is no darkness in him. That's what John says. In him is not any darkness at all. And so it is with his love. Anytime we encounter God, we encounter a loving being. I think it's important for us to get that in mind. And I hope that you can see this point. For, uh, for us to be helped by the statement of God is love, we need to understand something about this essential part of his nature, something that God is never not this. He's always a love. Uh, very important in my judgment for us to get hold of. Now John goes on not only to tell us that God is love, but he also tells us the way in which this is shown to us. And in in, in verse 9, John tells us that God's love was was made known, or the the ESV actually translates it, uh, made manifest among us. And I take this to mean that that the love that God has for his, you're talking about God's love for his people here, the love of God, and that love of God is not that we love him, but what John is talking about here is the way in which we love him. He loves us. It's a love that flows from his essential nature as love and hence makes him loving. And and this idea of making manifest, um, um, I I think we would like to have, I would like to have something stronger. It's it's more than an illustration. It's it's more than giving an example of of what God's love is. I would prefer a translation that said, God made a convincing demonstration of his love. And, And John, I think, expects that this statement that God sent his only son that he he tells us about in this manifestation, um, uh, that that, would not only help people to understand, but John's purpose in telling us this is for people to engage in love. He not only wants them to know that God is love, but he wants to convince them that love is is so overwhelmingly important that they internalize it and they begin to follow after the pattern of God and to engage in love themselves, especially in loving one another. 
And so the, the demonstration of the validity of the statement, God is love, should engage not only John's audience, but all of us here tonight uh, in loving one another, particularly loving other Christians. Now John starts off with two, uh, what, he, what I would call convincing demonstrations. Uh, the first one we see in uh, verse 9 of our text. Uh, in, this is, uh, in this the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. Now, I think the first thing we need to notice about this demonstration of love is that, that God is the one who initiates it. God is the one who brings this on. It was God, uh, here in particular, God the Father, uh, who sent his son into the world. And uh, we've heard this so often, and we're going to hear it a lot again as Christmas comes up to us. And we, we can sometimes get, uh, you know, sort of what I call uh, uh, spiritual calluses. We hear so many things so often and that we don't, they don't have an influence on us at all. We, we miss the impact. But I think it's important for us to, to, to look at this and to, to refresh our understanding and our commitment to this, that God, the creator of the world, sent his son, who was also active in creation, into the world that he made. And the reason he did that was because he is love. I think we, we, we shouldn't miss the, the significance of this. Let me, let me try to illustrate. Say you, you were going to make a diorama of some beautiful forest uh, 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 setting, and you spent a lot of time using your talents and your skills to make this diorama. It was just beautiful. Uh, and then you decided to get into the diorama. You know, you left off all your talents and your abilities, and you left them behind to try to get into them. And you're describing to a friend, uh, uh, I'm trying to get into my diorama. And, and your friend scratches his head and looks at you and says, why? Why are you doing that? Well, you see, with the case of God sending his son, and if his son, the, the creator, coming into this world, the, there is a real answer to why. And that why is, is because God is love, because he loves his people. Now, now, the statement goes, goes further and tells us that it was the one and only son of the father that was sent. And, and John points this out to us. He wants us to see the significance of that. It's not like God had dozens of children, you know, that he didn't even know all the names of all of his children. He just sent one off to come to the earth. That's, that's not the point that John is making. He's making the point that God, the creator, sent his one and only son, as John will tell us in other places, this son that, that he described as his much-loved son. He's the one that he sends into the world. And John points that out to us so that we can understand uh, the question of why did God do that? And the answer reverberates back to us once again, God is love. That's the reason why he did this. I think it's important for us to note further that there are certain benefits that accrue to people in the world because God sent his only son into the world. And John tells us it's so that we could live through him. And John knew and his audience knew that, that all the people um, uh, in this world uh, were headed not to life but to death 
and to hell. He, he understands that. Uh, he's already told us uh, uh, back in the uh, very first uh, uh, chapter uh, that the life that Jesus gives to us is an eternal life. It's a life that we can come to, to share with God. Uh, and so Jesus, the eternal Son of God, was sent by the Father into the world, uh, into this world that was created by, both, by the Father, by the Son, uh, and uh, that in order that creatures who had rebelled against this creator could then share a life that would never end. And John is trying to help us to understand this. And as I, as I, as I, as I pondered this, and as a matter of fact, as I'm sitting in front of my typewriter pecking out, uh, out these words, uh, uh, just uh, popped into my mind uh, uh, some words from Charles Wesley, and as, as they popped into my mind, I wondered if John, as he was writing, what kind of poetry popped into his mind, but into my mind, at least when I, when, I, when I wrote about these things in my notes about God sending his only son into the world so that we could have, uh, have, have, so that we could live, I thought of Wesley's words, he left his father's throne above, so free, so infinite is grace, emptying himself of all but love. So that's John's first uh, convincing demonstration, if you will, of what it means that God is love. But John also gives a second uh, convincing demonstration of what it means that God is love. And we see that in the very next verse, in verse 10. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation of our sins. I take it that John is trying to focus our attention on the enormity of what God does because he is love. Uh, and in order to do this, he sets out his the second convincing argument. But the second convincing argument takes the first, but it takes it just a little bit further. And John makes sure, wants to make sure that, that his little children, these that he has addressed as little children, uh, don't make the mistake that we are often prone to make. Uh, we think others love us because we love them first. And somehow, by doing that, we become love-worthy, if you will. But John tells us point blank. He just tells us, God did not love you because you loved him. Not at all. He, does, he says that's not the case. God is not a responder to love. God is the initiator to love. He's very clear about this. And in fact, I would say that, that John is uh, putting it, it a bit mildly uh, when he says it this way. Not only did we not love God first, but we were actually rebels against God. We were, we were his enemies. Uh, that Christ died for us while we were yet sinners. We were, we were opposed to him, you see. So, so God sends his son uh, for this world. And John certainly recognizes this because he tells us what it costs God to love us. The father sent his son uh, into the created world with a specific task. And the, uh, the son was, as John tells us here, to be the propitiation uh, for our sins. Uh, what he's saying is that, uh, that uh, God sent his son into the world uh, so that he could be the atoning sacrifice, so that he could bear uh, the just wrath and anger of God because we'd broken God's law, because we had sinned. God loved us, and because he loved us, and because he was just, because he was right, righteous. He had to do something in order to keep both his justice and his righteousness and even his anger against sin and his love altogether. So he sent his son and his son comes to this earth and his son dies upon the cross and in doing so he ameliorates the, the anger of God, the justice of God 
against the sins that we have committed. That's John's point. That's what John is trying to get across to us. He wants us to be very clear about that, that God loves us, but he's still just. He's still angry against sin. But because God is love and at the same time just, therefore he can send his son into the world to suffer as the atoning sacrifice uh, for our sins. And that, my friends, ought to be a convincing demonstration of the fact that God is love. If you can sit in your seat tonight and uh, uh, claim to understand uh, this as an interesting model or a helpful illustration and not be gripped at the very center of your being, I contend you don't understand it. You miss the point. Because the kind of love that God has, the kind of love that I argued when we started off, is not only a love that makes him want to do something that's good for you, but it's a love that, that, that brings his affections, and those affections that he brings ought to come to have some grip on you as well. And so when you think about what it is that Jesus has done for his people, when you think about what Jesus has done for you, yes, you ought to have those love palpitations that we like to think about in our literature. You see, that's, that's where it's supposed to get hold of us. That's the way it's which is supposed to uh, grip us. And, and, and if, you, if you really want to test yourself about whether you understand this love, whether it has, has really gotten a hold of you to see if this notion of love has, has found a place, if you will, in the very depths of your soul, then, then I suggest that you use the test that John does. Look to your right. Now, Look to your left. After you've looked to your right and you've looked to your left, are you ready to say, because God is love, I love that brother in Christ, I love that sister in Christ. You see, that's the test. That's what John is talking about. Look at what he says in verse 11. Beloved, if God so loved us, we ought to love one another. And, and this, this is the point that he makes. This is why these are, are what I want to argue are, are convincing demonstrations of what love is because they not only fill us and grip, our, grip us at the base of our souls, but they also make us moved to do something, namely to love one another, to love Christian brothers and sisters. But John not only gives us these convincing demonstrations in this, but he also helps us uh, to uh, uh, recognize that, that love to really get hold of it is something that is to be experienced. And, and most of us know about things that we cannot grasp, that we just can't get a hold of without, uh, without experiencing. Let me try to illustrate. Uh, try to think of how you would communicate to somebody what the color yellow is, and just to give them an objective demonstration of what color is. And, and you might try to explain the effect of colors on individuals, and you might say to them, well, yellow's kind of a soothing color, or maybe you're into fashions, and you would say, well, yellow fits in with this flesh tone, but it clashes with this flesh tone. Um, 
You may be just a little bit more scientific in the way you go about it, and you could talk about light rays and where the color yellow falls on the spectrum, and you could say to this, a student of yours, you're trying to tell them what yellow is, and you could say, well, you know uh, that uh, yellow falls in the range of 597 to 577 nanometers, and if you hold up a prism, you will see that yellow comes in this place in relationship to the other places. But I'll tell you what, they aren't going to know what yellow is. They aren't going to have an idea about yellow. They're not going to get it at this point. And the only one clear and simple way to communicate what yellow is, is to say, this is yellow. And once you say, this is yellow, guess what? They know what yellow is. And it seems to me that John is doing something like that. He's trying to get us to see that to genuinely understand uh, uh, love, to genuinely embrace love, to internalize that, to make it a part not only of our mind, but also of our hearts, of our psyche, of our very person, that we have to experience it. Uh, and John makes this point. Look in verse 8. He says, um, Anyone who does not love does not know God. It's only when we experience love can we have some apprehension of what love really is. Can we internalize it? Uh, and, and I think we have to be careful that we don't fail to see what kind of love John has in mind for us. His statement for a... Eight follows on his plea in 4-7. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. And, and I've repeated in this series, as we've gone through it a number of times, that, that, that to know something in the scriptures, in a way in which John uses, is to have, have a relationship. And the same is true here. Those who genuinely love other Christians have been regenerated. They've been born anew. They've been born afresh. And they now have a relationship with the triune God. That's what John is trying to get across to us here. Now John tells us then that you have to experience this love uh, in order to really get a hold of it and to internalize it. But John also tells us another way to know uh, God. Uh, no, he tells us to, how do we know God who is invisible. And it is if we love one another. That's what he's arguing in that. That could be confusing section of verses uh, 12 through 16. I can remember in classes we would talk about how do we uh, uh, handle certain kinds of theological things and one of the questions I would put to students once in a while is, uh, what do you say to the kid who says to you, how do I love somebody I can't see? As he talked about God. And I put that question before you, how do you, how do you communicate to love someone that you cannot see? And, and in, in 4.12, the apostle tells us that if we love one another, then God will abide in us. And that is, he will take up residence in us. John goes on to tell us that, that love will be perfected in us. Uh, that is one of the uh, purposes of love, will be brought to its full completion. You know, it, will, it will do, if you will, uh, what it should do. And uh, one of the consequences of, uh, of uh, loving one another is that God lives in us by the power of the Holy Spirit. That's what he tells us in, in verse 13. That's his, his point, that, that the Holy Spirit enables enables us to understand uh, uh, that God lives in us. And he will go on to tell us that, that we also uh, live in God. 
And this is a point he's making in, in verse 13. And John goes on and he gives us more ways to confirm uh, that God loves us and that he lives in us. In 4.15 he says uh, that if we confess that Jesus is the son of God, uh, uh, then we are sure that God lives in us and uh, we know that we live in God as well. Uh, we talked about this uh, last time. We're not going to go into it a little bit more. Uh, and we looked at ch- chapter 4, verse uh, 2. Now, if you have trouble believing that God is real because you can't see him, then, then listen to what John has to say to you. When you love and confess, God lives in you, and the Holy Spirit makes himself known to you. That's, that's what happens here. Now, I've used this illustration before, but if somebody moves into your house you know that person's there. I don't care how neat that person is. I don't care how quiet that person is. I don't care how unassuming that person is. Somebody moves into your house, you know it. And when God, by the power of his spirit, comes to dwell in you, you know it. There is evidence of that. And one of the evidences of that is what? That you love one another. That you have got hold of love. See, that's what, that's what, that's what um, John is talking about. When you love one another, the Spirit of God comes, he lives in you, and out of that love, you come to know something about God, even the God you can't see, because he's doing things inside you, and one of the things that he's doing inside you is enabling you to love other Christians. John gives us another illustration of this when he talks about uh, the way that we can experience uh, a genuine love. And he talks about this in verses 17 and 18. And he tells us there that uh, love enables us to face the day of judgment without fear. And, And I think it's legitimate for us to ask John, well, how can that be? How can we face judgment uh, without any fear? And uh, you, you may even recall when we started off this sermon, I talked about the way in which the writer of Hebrews describes God as what? Our God is a consuming fire. How are we going to face that God on the day of judgment and we're going to face him without fear, with, with confidence uh, that is uh, uh, free and fearless, as one lexicon says, With cheerful courage, we're going to stand before God on the judgment day. And John sets out his reason. He says the reason why we can look at, we can face God on the judgment day with lacking in fear is because of love. He says it, there is no fear in love, but perfect fear casts out, perfect love casts out fear. Now, I know that, that I don't love perfectly, and I suspect uh, some of you in this room may think the same thing about yourselves. Uh, but the perfect or complete love he is talking about here is the love that comes from God, who himself is love. And you'll remember that one of those convincing demonstrations of love was that Jesus was the propitiation for our sins. That is, Jesus on the cross suffered the punishment that our sins deserved. And so that's how we can, we can, we can love, and love drives out the fear. Uh, and, and John tells us that this, is, this, is, this happens, as he says in verse 19, uh, because we love because he first loved us, because God loved us, because God abides in us and works by the power of the Holy Spirit. One of the consequences of that love that God shows to us and, in, and inculcates in us is that 
Fear is pushed away and we can stand before the throne of God on the judgment day. Listen to what John is telling us about this love. That one day we will stand before God our judge. And because God loves us and because he has fostered his love in us and we love him back and we love his people, we're going to be able to stand before that God and we're going to be able to say to him, I'm coming into your heaven because I trusted in the Lord Jesus Christ that when he died upon the cross, he took my sins away. And the reason why I trusted him is because you loved me, God. And because you loved me, you sent him to die on my behalf. And we will be able to make that argument, to make those statements before this holy and righteous God. And the reason why we'll be able to make those statements is because God so loved the world that he sent his only begotten son. And he came to take away our sins. And he did that because he loved us. And that kind of love gets rid of fear so that we can stand on the day of judgment before this holy God. That's John's point. That's what he's trying to get, a, get across to us. But John goes on. Uh, if we don't love others, he's telling us, we can't love God. He will not let his beloved, nor will he let us, slip away without confronting us with one of those, one more time about his test of love. And I take this test not only to be for the people he wrote to, but this test is also a test for us. God knows for sure whether we love him or not. He's not confused. But John wants his little children to be sure that they love God, that they have experienced the love that God has for them. He doesn't want them to be led astray as we've talked, as we've gone through this, about those uh, others, so those seceders from their group who are trying to lead them astray to try to convince them uh, that uh, they're, not a, they're not accepted uh, by God at all. And John brings back one of his foremost tests. He says, do you love other Christians? And if one makes the profession that, that I love God and you don't love Christians, John is clear, you're a liar. It's a lie, that's what he tells us. Uh, if, we, if we say this, uh, we, we, we lie. That's, that's what he's telling us so very clearly here. And that just as loving others helps to convince us that God is real and abides in us, so not loving others demonstrates to us that we don't love God. Uh, John puts it in verse 20, for he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. He goes on to tell us in verse 21, and this commandment we have from him, whoever loves God must also love his brother. Because God is love and has convincingly demonstrated his love by sending Jesus to die for us, uh, that's the reason why we can love. I mean, I could stand up here tonight because of what Jesus Christ has done, because God has loved me since before the foundations, I can stand in front of you here tonight and I can look out at you and I say, can say to you because God has loved me, I love you brothers and sisters. And if you understand, if you've been gripped by that love of God and you have committed yourself to Jesus Christ, you can look back at me and you can say, Alan, I love you because you're a brother in Jesus Christ. That's the kind of concreteness that John puts before us in this, in this text. That's the kind of way in which he puts it. This, If you cannot say that, then don't say that you love God. To do so, as John says, is to tell a lie. Now, now 
As, as you reflect on the way in which John demonstrates that God is love, uh, you may feel that, that there's an overwhelming emphasis only on what goes on inside us here with the church that makes us sort of a, a separate kind of community. And certainly, that's one of the emphases that we have to keep in mind, that, that we are a separate the kind of community. But I think we also have to remember um, as we, we wonder about our, our unsaved uh, uh, friends, our unsaved relatives, we have to, have to remember the way in which John uses this notion of love, and particularly back in his gospel. In the 13th chapter of John's gospel, we, uh, um, verse 35 we read, by this all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. God is love. God has sent his only son into the world to be a propitiation for our sins. And on the basis of this love, he commands us to love one another. And when you do, God makes it so that all people will know that you belong to him. That there's a world out there. And when we love one another, we get the attention of that world. Because this is the world that sings the song and sings the word. That, word, that, that love makes the world go round. But it is here, in the midst of the church, that that love abounds because we have love for one another. And that world in which we live, that world filled with non-Christians, desperately, desperately wants to experience that kind of a love. Because the God who made them in his image is love. And until they have that kind of love, they're lacking. But brothers and sisters, John tells us, if you love each other, and the world will look at you and they will say, you are followers of Jesus and you can say to them, come, follow Jesus with me. Confess that he is the savior of the world and he has come to take away the sins of his people. He has died on the behalf of his people and he calls upon you to have faith in him. God is love. Love one another because God is love. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we, we're just amazed that you have loved us. And we're amazed that you, O oh God, are love. And we're grateful that you have shown your love to us and you have loved us from before the foundations of the world and you have redeemed us through the blood of your Son, our Savior, Jesus Christ. And because you have loved us, we plead with you, enable us more and more day by day to love one another to your glory and to your praise. For Jesus' sake, we say together, amen.